been in, uh, we've, uh, today, of course, is a celebration Sunday. It's the day that we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. And we've been preparing for this day for the last few weeks as we've been studying under the sermon series title, Easter According to Scripture. Now, when we think about Easter, it's not just another holiday that we pin on our calendar. It's not something that we have designated just because of a religious formality. We realize and understand that Easter is the celebration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe the Bible is divinely inspired and the Bible is divinely inspired to give us a message of hope. Now, I want to make sure you remember that, that when we open our Bible, this is not just another book that we open. It's not just another textbook that we have, but this is the inspired word of Almighty God. And this word was given to us to give us hope for our life. Not only was it that, but it was given so that we could have good news. Ladies and gentlemen, we're living in a bad news world. Everywhere you turn and everywhere you look, there seems to be bad news. But I'm here today to declare to you that there is good news in the midst of the bad news. And that is Jesus Christ has conquered death, hell, and the grave. Can I get an amen? So when we think about that, we have good news. And we're living in a world today where many people have lost their hope. There's people everywhere that I meet that seem to be looking for hope that they cannot find. And I believe that today there's some of you here today that you may be in that category, that you're looking at your life and you're going to yourself, I need some hope for my life. Maybe there are those of you here that you've messed up your life or you made the wrong choices or wrong decisions. And because of that, you're saying, I need a fresh start. I need hope for my life. You see, when you lose your hope, life is a dead-end street. When you lose your hope, you begin to realize that life is miserable. And many people are living miserably today. The message of Easter is the message of good news, the message of hope, the message of victory. The great apostle Paul delivers a message of hope to a bunch of believers that needed to be encouraged. So today, if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, take your copy of God's Word and open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When you open your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you will be introduced to a powerful message that Paul was sharing with believers in the city of Corinth. You see, the believers in the city of Corinth were wrestling with the thought, is there life after death? Is there more to life than just living? Is there any hope after we die? And Paul, becoming the man of God who met Jesus on the road to Damascus, who radically changed his life, was commissioned of God to go into the city of Corinth and to give them the message of hope. When you study your Bible, you begin to realize that religion of that day had all kinds of philosophies and theories about what happens to people when they die. I believe that we're living in a world today to where people are still asking that question. What is beyond the grave? What happens to me when I draw my last breath? What's going to happen to me when my heart stops beating? What happens to me when I die and go into eternity? So the great question that was posed to Paul is this question. Is there a such thing as a resurrection 
for the dead? Do dead people really come alive again? Is there going to be a day when our bodies are going to be resurrected? Is that true or is it a lie? Is it fact or is it a hoax? So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the great apostle Paul delivers to these believers a message of hope. Ladies and gentlemen, may I submit to you today that we need that message of hope in our world today. We need somebody saying to us there is more to life than what we see. There's a better life coming. There's something that is greater than what we're experiencing while we're on this earth. So the great apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins to pin the words that will instruct us and encourage us in life. If you'll notice there in verse number one, he says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Now let's not rush through that. Let's make sure that we understand the word gospel. The word gospel is the word good news. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I want to give you some good news. You may have questions about death. You may have questions about dying. You may have questions about eternity in the hereafter, but I want to give you some good news. And then he says, I'm going to preach this good news to you. That is, I'm going to make proclamation in such a way that I will share with you the truth that you need to get. Then he says, which you've also received, and you need to stand in that truth. And he notice in the next verse, he says, by which also you are saved or you're rescued. The Bible gives us the message of salvation through the gospel. The gospel, the good news, is the message of salvation. And he says, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, then in verse number two it says, unless you have believed in vain. Now notice in verse number three, he makes the transition, and he says, first of all, I delivered unto you that which I also received. How that Christ, say it with me, church, died for our sins according to the scripture. Let's stop right there for a moment. What does that mean? It means what it says. That Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. The Bible tells us that he left the glories of heaven. He was, he was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The virgin gave birth to the son of the living God. The Bible tells us that he was tempted in all ways, like as we are, yet without sin. The Bible tells us that Jesus was obedient to the cross. The Bible tells us that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane until his sweat became as great drops of blood falling to the ground, praying these words in that Garden of Gethsemane, Father, not my will, but thine be done. He set his face toward the place called Gagatha, the place of the skull, and there he finished the accomplished work that was resonated through God before eternity passed that he must die on the cross. The Bible says that Jesus died for our what, church? sins. Did you know this? That he did that for every one of us. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, and the sound of my voice needs to understand that Jesus died for your sins. Nobody else could do that. For one sinner cannot die for another sinner. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible reminds us, ladies and gentlemen, that there is none righteous, no, not one. So what did God do in his infinite wisdom and mercy? He decided to send his son Jesus, the spotless lamb of God, to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. He did that, and if you were the only sinner that was left on planet Earth, he would have died for your sins. Do you believe that today? 
Jesus died for your sins. The Bible said he did that according to the scriptures. Notice it is according to the word of God. In other words, before the foundation of the world began, God had already set a plan in motion that his son would die for sinners like you and I. And then the Bible says that not only he died on the cross, but that he was buried. And then the word of God gives us the good news. And the good news is that he rose again on the third day, say it with me, church, according to the scripture. Do you believe that today, church? If you believe that, let's give God praise. He did exactly that. He did exactly that. So for the last two weeks, we've been talking about Easter according to the scripture. Now you may want to remind yourself of this. The first day we talked about the death of Jesus and we understood that in this death of Jesus that it was a sovereign death. It was a sacrificial death. It was a suffering death. It was a substitutional death and it was a scriptural death. Then we talked about the burial. How that God the Father meticulously designed the burial of his son. It wasn't by accident that Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb, understanding that he was not gonna need it very long. For we know that after three days he rose again. Then we today open our Bible to the subject, which is the premier subject of Christianity, the resurrection, the resurrection. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's no resurrection, then we're in trouble. If there's no resurrection, then our faith is in vain. If there's no resurrection, then there's no sense in us being here today. But I'm here to tell you today that the tomb is empty and Jesus has risen from the dead. Can I get an amen? Now, the first thing I want you to notice about the resurrection is this profound thought, and that is this, the reality of the resurrection. The reality of the resurrection. Now, before we rush through that, I want you to pay attention to the first Four letters in the word reality. Just circle that in your outline. The first four letters in the word reality is the word real. Ladies and gentlemen, the resurrection was a real resurrection. When I think about that, why Jesus himself said, if you destroy this temple, I will build it again in three days. Why Jesus himself said that as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Nothing about the resurrection was accidental. It was a reality. Open your Bible to the book of Luke, chapter 24. Let's look that together. Luke, chapter 24, we find the record of Dr. Luke who gives us the instructions that we need to have concerning the reality of the resurrection. If you'll notice in Luke chapter 24, verse number one through six, we find the writing saying, now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher or the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid, they bowed their faces to the earth, and they said unto them, Why are you seeking the living among the dead? This is the great proclamation of the Christian faith, ladies and gentlemen. He is not here, but he is risen. Can I get an Amen. So we find now that they're going to visit the tomb. And we understand that as they go visit the tomb, 
they, 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 they discover that the stone is rolled away. The stone is rolled away. And as they peek into that tomb, they find two men in shining garments saying, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Ladies and gentlemen, the resurrection is the third part of the whole truth of the gospel. Jesus died on the cross according to the scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. We realize that this reality of this resurrection has changed the world. What about you? Do you believe that? In order for your life to be changed, the resurrection must become a reality to you. The resurrection cannot be a holiday that you observe, but rather, are you listening? The resurrection must be a belief that you accept. It's not something that you put on your calendar to observe once a year, but it's something that you put in your heart that will forevermore change your life. You see, the reality of that profound statement, why are you seeking the living among the dead, is a profound reality that changes everything about our life. He's not here, but he's risen, as he said. The stone was not rolled away to let them in, but the stone was, rolled, the stone was not rolled away to let him out, but the stone was rolled away to let them in so that they could see that he was not there. Ladies and gentlemen, today, I make the declaration to you today that there is a reality of the resurrection He's not in the tomb. He has risen, as he said. He's alive forevermore. Can I get an amen? amen? The Bible tells us that he has risen from the dead. You go to the tomb of all the other leaders of religion, you'll find that their bones are still in the tomb. Their bones are still in the grave. While you go to the tomb of Buddha, he's still there. You go to the tomb of Muhammad, he's still there. But when you go to the tomb of Jesus, you find this declaration, he's not here, he is risen as he said. Because of that, the reality, there are two things you've got to understand as we look at the next scripture. It says that he was seen of Cephas. That is, there was a visual sighting of Jesus after he came back alive. The Bible says he was seen of 12. Then it says he was seen of about 500 people, brethren at one time, and then of whom the greater part remain this present, but some are falling asleep. After that, he was seen of James. He was seen of all the apostles. Now, what does that mean? It means Paul said, and finally he was saw of me. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, if Jesus had not been risen from the dead, somebody would have found reason to make that a lie but ladies and gentlemen it is not a lie it is the truth and because it is the truth there's two things I want you to write down first of all because it is the truth the resurrection deepens your value of your life it deepens the value of your life in other words because Jesus rose from the dead it means that there is more to you than just your body in other words, there is more to life than what we see. You're not an accident. You're, you're not just a, a dirt on this earth. But you are a creation of the Lord. The reality of this truth is you're not just dust. God created you, had a purpose and a plan for your life, and it deepens the value of who you are. If God made you, he must have a plan for you. If God created you, there's a purpose for you. 
If God gave his son to die for you, it must mean he loves you more than you could imagine. So the resurrection deepens the value of your life. But not only does it deepen the value of your life, it widens your view of life. Because of the resurrection, you begin to realize some profound truth that there is something beyond the grave. There's something more out there. Because of the resurrection, you have to come to this conclusion. There must be something beyond my death. There's got to be something out there. If Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he set an example for us, there's more to life than what you see. You've got to realize that your view of life has got to change from just the temporary. You've got to begin to realize that you're not just living your life for the moment, but you're living your life for eternity. So many people that I meet, they, they look at their life and they're so miserable with their life. And they don't know what to do with their life and they lost all hope for life. And what has happened to them is this. They have forgotten there's something bigger. There's men and women and boys and girls sitting in this auditorium today that you're trying to fight your way through. You're trying to find value. You're trying to ask, you're trying to find the answer to this question. Why am I here? What's the purpose of me living? What, what, what is, what's, what's the plan for my life? And when you leave God out of your life, you're never going to find the fulfillment of that. See, when the resurrection gets in you, because of your faith in Jesus, all of a sudden, your life comes alive. And there's more to life than just existing. You begin to realize that there is a resurrection. There is life after death. There is something bigger. Can I get an amen? Which brings me to the second thing, and that is this, the reason for the resurrection. Why in the world was there a resurrection? We're here today on this Sunday morning to celebrate this reality of the reason of the resurrection. Why, why is that? We know there's a reality of it. The tomb is empty. Praise God for that. But there's got to be a reason for it. And I believe that the Word of God gives us three reasons for the resurrection. First of all, it proves that Jesus really is alive. Can I get an amen? amen. He truly is alive. Jesus really is alive. He's not some dead person that's, that's non-existent. He's not some figment of our imagination. Jesus is alive. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And we begin to realize the, the profound reality that if Jesus did not go into the grave and come out of that grave, then he's dead. And I want to go on record today to tell you, he is not dead. Can I get an amen? So we believe the reason for the resurrection is to prove to us that Jesus is alive. But there's a second reason for it. It purifies our message. It purifies our message. We think about getting together on Easter Sunday and preaching and proclaiming this news. Why, if it wasn't true, I'd be telling you a lie. 
The late Dr. Billy Graham has went all over the world proclaiming this message that Jesus is alive. Thousands upon thousands of people have responded to that call of God upon their life to realize that we really do have a risen Savior. Thousands upon thousands of people, the Holy Spirit has begun to move in their heart and they've said yes to Christ because the preaching of the gospel is not the preaching of some story that we've made up, but it's the preaching of the true story of God in Jesus Christ. We begin to realize that the purity of that message is something that God uses to reach in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, it says these words, if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain. What does that mean? It means that if it's truly not true that Jesus rose from the dead, everything that we've ever said is useless. And if what we said is useless, then we're hopeless, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible says your faith is in vain. And if Christ be not raised from the dead, your faith is in vain and you are still in your sins. You know what that means? It means if Jesus is not the Savior of the world, and he's not the resurrected one, we all are still living in our sin. And the judgment of God is hanging over our head. And the wrath of God is hanging over our head. And we stand guilty before God if Jesus has not risen from the dead. The Bible says everything is in vain. It's empty. It's meaningless if Jesus has not risen from the dead. Then I want you to notice the third reason. It provides hope, hope for our lives, hope beyond the grave. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men, what church? Most miserable. You know what that means? It means that if, if Jesus has not been resurrected, we don't have any hope and we're miserable. The Bible says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and he has become the first fruits of the resurrection. I'm gonna tell you, I'm so thankful for that but now moment, amen. amen. The reality is he has rose from the dead. And we realize that without that, we're hopeless. There's no hope for our life in this world. Without the reality of, of Jesus and the reason for that, for him coming out of that grave, we all have hope. How many of us in this place today, we need that blessed assurance and that hope? Can I get an amen? When I think about it and I begin to realize, oh my goodness, there's a reason Jesus did that. It's real, ladies and gentlemen. It's real. He's alive. He changes lives. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He has done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. The grave could not keep him and, and death could not hold him. He's alive forevermore and thank God for that today. We begin to realize that there's a reason, but there is a response to it. When I think about the resurrection and I begin to study my Bible, you begin to look through the scriptures, you begin to realize that through the covers of the word of God, 
It tells us three responses that people normally have about the message of the resurrection. The first response that we find is mockery. People mock it. Now, now, when you think about mocking the resurrection, there are some people that are blatantly mockers. They just say, you know what, this is a joke. And they make fun of it. We're living in a world today that makes the, the message of Jesus a mockery by making a joke out of it. When we look at television today and media, people are laughing at Jesus and they're making fun of that. And they're mocking what God has done. And they, they, they make God the centerpiece of their jokes. And the, uh, they begin to talk about how senseless and how, how ridiculous it is that people would put their faith in Jesus. And we're living in a world that's blatantly mocking the message of the resurrection. But you can mock the resurrection message not just by making jokes about it and being blatantly terrible about it in your mind or re rejecting the message. You can mock the resurrection by mocking it in your heart. That you're saying, I don't want anything to do with this truth. And there are men and women and boys and girls that mock the message often. They come to church, they hear the gospel. Somebody preaches and, and they're, they're just there, and, but they don't want to be there and they just shut it out and inside they're laughing about it and mocking about it and making fun about it. Oh, my friend, one day you will wish you had listened. But there's people that mock it. I dare say that there's people in this auditorium today that say, Brother Jack, I care nothing about what you have to say about this resurrection. There's some of you right now in your heart, in your mind, I'd rather be anywhere else but right here, but you're here, and, but deep down in your heart, the resurrection is nothing to you. You mock it, you make fun of it, you ridicule it. It affects none of your life, it affects none of your thoughts. Your desire is not to know God, but, but you push it away and you reject it and you think to yourself, I have better things to listen to. I have better things to do. I have more valuable things to give my time and energy to. I dare not care about this foolishness called Christianity and the resurrection and faith in Christ. I care nothing about that. But my friend, one day you'll stand before God and you will wish you hadn't mocked that message. For we serve a God that is alive and one day the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. Oh, friend, the tomb is empty. And because it is empty, he is victorious. And there's none above him. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. You may mock him now, but you will bow before him one day. The Bible says in the book of Acts 17 as Paul walked into the city of Athens and noticing that as he went around the city that, that they were so religious and they had, got, they had altars built to all kinds of gods and as he began to move through the city he began to recognize that people were worshiping everything, everything under the sun they were worshiping. They were trying to find meaning of life and purpose for life and fulfillment in their heart and they were trying to plug up the vacancy that was in their heart. So what did they do? They made an altar to any god that, 
they thought would help them. But as they built one altar, the, they were still empty and they built another altar and then another altar because they were looking for substance that would help them in their life. And as they began to seek out and search for, they all came up empty and there was one inscription that they had made to the unknown God. And Paul says, I need to tell you about him. And as he begins to share the gospel of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, how that Christ died on the sins of the cross for their sins and how that he was buried on the third day he rose again and there's none righteous no not one and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father realizing that repentance of your sins and faith in Jesus is the only way to get out of this thing with hope in your life and as he began to make the proclamation and finally drew the Conclusion to it, the Bible says some people mocked. Can you imagine the audacity of that moment that as a man of God makes the proclamation of the purity of the message of the gospel that changes hundreds and thousands of lives? That the only hope for life and only hope for humanity is the reality that there is only one Savior, only one, not two, but one. And people would have the audacity to mock the message. Making a mockery out of that. Mocking that tremendous truth. The only truth that could set them free. The only truth that could take the chains off their life. The only truth that would get them out from under bondage. The only truth that will break the enslavement of sin on people's lives. They have the audacity to mock that message. Can you see them standing before God one day? As life is over and they draw their last breath and go off into eternity, lost and undone without Jesus, standing before a righteous, holy God, only to hear this question, why did you mock my son? Why did you mock my son. Did you think it was a joke that he would die on the cross for you? Did you think it was funny that they would slaughter him? Did you think it was funny that they would beat him to the place that you couldn't even recognize that he was a human being? Did you have the audacity to realize that I created you, I put you in your mother's womb and I formed you and you had the audacity to mock my son? You had the audacity to mock the message that he brought to a hopeless, dying world. My friend, people are still mocking today. But one day, dreadfully regretting the moment that they mocked the message. But then there's a second response to this profound reality, and that is some people delay it. Oh, may I say to you and may I suggest to you that this may be even more dangerous than the, than the first. Mocking is obviously pretty obvious to people that you could walk and listen and hear and see the rejection on the mocker's face. But what about those that delay the message? What about the, tr the trick that Satan uses to get you to say these words about Jesus and about salvation? Oh, I'll wait till next Sunday. 
or I'll wait till next month, or I'll wait till I get better, or I'll wait till I quit drinking, or I'll wait till I quit smoking, or I'll wait this. The devil applauds those that delay the message. Those that delay, that put it off, is standing on dangerous ground, for the devil himself knows that if he can convince you to wait, just wait, just wait, you're not ready yet, don't do it yet. You're, there's too many problems, you'll never measure up. He'll give you a boatload of excuses if he can just get you to delay the decision that you need to make. And there are hundreds and thousands and millions of people that are swallowed up in the mouth of hell every day because they wait. You say, now, Brother Jackie, I'm here on Easter Sunday morning, and I dare not make some public decision in the crowd like this. Well, there's coming a crowd that's much bigger than this that will stand before God one day that he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. How would you like to stand before God one day, understanding that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried on the third day, you rose again, and you wasted your opportunity because you waited. Nobody's promised tomorrow. I speak to many, many people in crowds of hundreds of people and I look in crowds like this and I have this final conclusion as I look around this vast auditorium and I say to myself, one of you will be next. Out of all these people that is here today, hundreds of you that have gathered today, out of this crowd, I will get a call that says, did you hear? One of you will be next to go into eternity. One of you will be the next one. That heart will stop beating. Your breath will fade away and you will go through the door of eternity. And death is not the respecter of persons. There, there's young people and median age people and old people that die. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. Some people are so close but yet so far away. The devil seems to have this Unique ability to sit on your shoulder when God is speaking to you and saying to you, don't do it today. Only to get you to give him another day of your life. Hoping and praying that that will be the last day you will have. Some of you, God has been dealing with you for quite some time, but you have delayed the most dangerous thing in the world is the procrastination that you may embrace on eternal life. The most dangerous thing in the world that could happen to you is that death would quickly invade your life and you will have delayed your decision. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 17 verse 32 that some of them mocked. But notice the text that says there were others that says we will hear of this again later on. Uh, you never know that you may not have another later on. You may not have another tomorrow, another tomorrow night, another Sunday that comes your way. God may not grace you with another moment, but people delay. It's the trap of Satan. There's no, no denying the tomb is empty. There's no denying the resurrection is real, but... The devil has a way of causing you to wait. And then there are, there's another group that says they believed. They believed. 
Now, once they believed, there was a miraculous moment that happened in their life. Once you believe, no matter who you are, there's a tremendous supernatural moment that God causes to happen in your life. And in the book of Acts, chapter 34, it says, however, certain of those men claimed to him and they believed. Can you imagine what happens to you the moment that you believe? You take someone like myself and like others that have sat under the anointing of this gospel preaching and the Spirit of God begins to deal with their heart and their heart is pumping and beating so much so that it feels like it's going to explode in their chest but yet conviction comes and they say yes to Jesus and there is a moment that happens that all of a sudden God takes a dirty sinner that is vile and filthy and washes them with his blood. And all of a sudden, they become clean. Can I get an amen? And they get a new life. And what a miraculous moment it is when all of a sudden, your sin meets his grace. And your sin is big, but his grace is bigger. And his grace takes the sin and washes it pure and clean in the blood of Jesus. And what a miraculous moment that is when God does that for a person that all of a sudden they are new and they're born again and they have a new life. And God not only takes your sin and washes it away from you, but he does something else miraculous. He writes your name in the Lamb's book of life and no one could ever erase it. Can I get an amen? How awesome is that? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever experienced that moment in your life where God radically changes you? Oh, that's, that's the reaction, the response to the resurrection. Some of you today will mock it, some of you will delay it, but some of you will believe it. Now, as a result of those responses, for especially the last one, there is a reward of the resurrection. There, God always rewards those that are obedient. God is a good God, and he rewards us that walk in obedience. And there are two things that you need to write down in the reward. First of all, you have eternal life. That is, God gives you a new life. The eternal life that God gives you is profoundly demonstrated and spoken to us in the book of John chapter 11 as Mary and Martha were, were weeping over the loss of their brother Lazarus and Jesus comes along and says these words Jesus said to them I am the resurrection and the life and notice what he says he that believes in me though he were dead yet shall he live watch this next verse is a shouting verse it says whosoever lives and believes in me somebody tell me shall never die. Do you believe that? Say amen. And then he asked this question, do you believe that? Do you believe that if you live, that's us, and you die? You'll never die. You'll never, you'll never experience death if you'll just believe in Jesus. Now, here's a profound thought for you. All of you do know that you are getting old. And uh, when I look around this crowd today, and there's some of you that it hasn't really hit you yet. But you haven't looked in the mirror good lately because you're getting older. I used to have hair. I don't have hair no more. 
you're laughing at me. Your Mary Kay can't help you a whole lot anymore. <laughs> you can do the tucks and the trims, and, but you are still wearing out. You cannot jump as high as you used to jump, and you cannot run as fast as you used to run. You are trying your best to preserve yourself. Look at me. It is not working. <laughs> Which means that you're going to die. But if you believe in him, you'll never die. The best is yet to come. God gives you eternal life when you believe in this resurrected Savior. But there's a, there's a second profound thought, and that is this. You have a family. People today are looking for somewhere to fit. People today are looking for a family that they can be a part of. Oh, my friend, when you come to Jesus and you believe in this resurrected one, you have a family. The Bible says in the book of John that if you receive him, to them he gives the power to become the sons and the daughters of God. Oh, my friend, one day when we all get to heaven, we'll be together as a family. And I believe that everybody needs an eternal family. There are some of you today that say to me, Brother Jack, I don't have a family. You can if you'd like one. This family of God is a tremendous family. But you don't join the family of God. You are born into the family of God. For Jesus himself said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Don't you know, Nicodemus, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God? Neither doeth corruption inherit incorruption. For, for you know, Nicodemus, that you must be born again. You cannot, Nicodemus goes, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born when I'm old? That which is born of flesh is flesh, Nicodemus, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it listeth, and no man knows where it comes and where it goes. Nicodemus, are you a master teacher of Israel and you know not these things that I speak of? You don't understand that the Spirit of God begins to move and blow? And he knows how to speak to hearts. And as the Spirit of God moves and blows over places like this and a crowd like this, the Spirit of God begins to move, saying to you, would you like a family? Would you like to be born again? Would you like to accept this resurrected Savior? And every man, woman, boy, and girl on the sound of my voice has got to make a decision about that. Wouldn't it be great on Easter Sunday morning, 2018, a day that you dare not shall ever forget that you chose to become part of the family of God? Wouldn't it be great to be able to nail that one down in your memory to say, I remember exactly when I gave my life to Jesus. It was Easter Sunday morning, 2018. Some bald-headed preacher got up and told me this news about this resurrected Savior, and I invited him into my heart. My friend, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, Jesus loves you. And he gave his life so that you could have a new life if you would trust this resurrected Savior.
Oh, and by the way, there is one more thing. It's called the bottom line. How do you receive the resurrection? You know, you can talk about it all day long. You can read about it in a book. You can hear stories about it. You can even watch movies about it. But how do you receive the resurrection? The Bible is very plain about that. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Wouldn't you like to do that today? Wouldn't you like to open your heart and say to God, God, I want a new life. I want a new life. Some of you may need to recommit your life to the Lord. or Some of you may need to come for the very first time. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand, and there's going to be ministers down front, and I know what you're thinking already. I'm not going to walk down there. Well, if God sent his son Jesus to walk to the cross for you, why would you not walk down here for him? In the first service, the altar filled up with people coming, saying, I want my heart to be right with God. People joined the church the first service. Maybe today you'd like to make that decision for Christ. We'd love to celebrate with you. Or maybe you'd like to be a member of this church. We'd love for you to do that. But I believe that God begins to deal with hearts and lives, and he's probably speaking to some of you. So today I want us to bow our heads for a moment, just for a moment. And as we bow our heads, our minister is going to come. And as they come, they're going to position themselves right down front. And they're going to be here to pray with you and to encourage you. If you're here today and you're looking for hope and you want to change life, would you be so kind as to stand right now and come on down here? Just stand up. They'll move out of your way. If you want to join the church, just stand up. They'll move out of your way. God bless you, man. God bless you. Anybody else, just come on right now. Today's the day, man. Now, Brother Randy and them are going to begin to sing, and we want to invite you to stand and sing with us. And in just a moment, we're going to celebrate all the decisions that are making. So as we stand, you come. Will you do that as we sing together today? Let's sing.